Ready for Christmas? My father bought all of his Christmas presents for family last month. In fact, I think I'm right in saying some, most of them even in October. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, my dad is seriously organized. Uh, done all that, wrapped them all, got them all sorted. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, that, um, that characteristic did not follow in his son. Um, uh, but I am fairly well organized. But um, we, are, we are approaching Christmas and a reminder of the great joy that Christmas represents. It's the heart of its message. News of great joy is what Christmas is really all about. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes, although we know that's the message of Christmas, uh, Christmas isn't always a time of great joy for everybody. I mean, for some, this is the first Christmas where where they will be mourning uh, somebody. Uh, I was at a funeral on Monday, a funeral for Brenda Milbourne. Some of us would know, uh, particularly Simon and Patricia, amongst others. Uh, Brenda was the uh, the mother of uh, Karen Heath, that some of us will know. Tony and Karen were, were very involved in the northwest of London uh, back in the day, and um, Penny and I knew them and the, and and both Karen's parents quite well, both when they were in London, but also in uh, in Manchester. And it was sobering to be at a funeral at a time like this. It was a good funeral in the sense we were celebrating the life of someone who had faith in Christ and will certainly rise again. So that was a, a great thing. But to have a Christmas, maybe your first Christmas, mourning someone you lost is a challenge. Uh, Michael and Remy and their family mourning the loss of, uh, of Michael's cousin not so long ago. And others have these, others have these experiences. And the other side of, of Christmas that can be a little challenging uh, is that um, it can be a bit of a time of stress for some of us. Um, perhaps you're uh, going to be around some of your relatives who you find a little difficult. Uh, perhaps some of them find you a bit difficult. Uh, perhaps, uh, naming your names, but for some people it can be a very stressful time having, frankly, having our children around all the time, indoors a lot of the time because it's cold and they want to know what's happening. And sometimes they get a bit hyper, don't they, when they're young and, and they're pretty hyper around Christmas and it's, it can be a bit stressful. Some of us feel the pressure of entertaining to certain levels of standards that somebody else has decided. Um, that, you know, my, my wife and I have very different uh, family traditions around Christmas. And when we were younger married, it caused a lot of clashes because I had certain expectations of Christmas and she had very different expectations of Christmas. And uh, we've resolved those now, but it took a while and it can create quite a bit of tension, can't it? And you perhaps have in-laws who have expectations of you visiting at certain times and days and amounts of time. And I don't know about you. I mean, I love Christmas. It's one of my favorite times of the year for sure, but it can be stressful. And, and, and in the middle of all that, we can lose perspective on what it actually is meant to cause us to think about, reflect on, and celebrate. And we can miss the joy. And my prayer and hope for all of us here, including myself, any of you online, is that all of us can really sense and experience the full joy of what Christmas is about the incarnation, God coming to be with us. That's, that's my hope. So my hope is that we can learn how to enjoy Christmas as a Christian, how you can really enjoy it. Um, clearly, 
Many people did enjoy it, especially in the first century, right? I mean, uh, we go, we're going to look at Luke chapter 2 in a moment. Who's doing our reading today, is it? You're good? Okay, good man. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, and what we'll see there is that Mary enjoyed Christmas, if you can put it that way. Joseph enjoyed it. It was good news for them. The shepherds enjoyed it, and so did the angels. So let's have our reading, and then we'll dig in a bit to this passage. You want to come on up? Thanks. Luke chapter 2. Good morning, church. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flock at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in the manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that, that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had, what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The, shepherd, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Thank you. Good reading, huh? Thank you. A lot of joy there, right? Got the angels, what are they doing? They're saying, they're praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. I just realized with that Christmas decoration up there, I can't see the screen properly. So it says, glory, okay. glory to God in the highest. And uh, what else does it say? I don't know, peace to those. Sorry, boys. It's behind me. I'm not turning around. Uh, it's panto season right there. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. They are singing, they are praising God. It's a time of great joy. News of great joy. Four points based on the four verses of the carol that we sang earlier called the Sussex Carol. Some things that I think we'll find useful, I hope, from, from that. So, verse one of the carol we sang earlier called the Sussex Carol. On Christmas night, all Christians sing to hear the news the angels bring. Like they sang, we sing. On Christmas night, all Christians sing to hear the news, the good news, the angels bring. News of great joy. News of great mirth. News of our merciful King's birth. So first of all, we're going to talk about this message, that we have a merciful King. The arrival of God in, in the shape of Jesus on this earth revealed <coughs> to us, revealed to us that our God is merciful. He's a merciful King. I like the line there, news of great joy, news of great mirth, laughter, hilarity. I think it's the kind of laughter that you, it's like a nervous laughter when you're told something that's so incredibly wonderful, you can't believe it. What? Really? Like me? <laughs> you're kidding, right? It's like that kind of, you must be joking kind of laughter. This is it. God is with us. God is with us on earth. That 
that's ridiculous. How can that possibly be the case? I think it's that kind of wow laughter that just, it's not, a, it's not like a joke. It, it comes out of you naturally because you are astonished. News of great joy, news of great mirth. And that's why we sing. That's why we sing here. That's why we sing carols to remind us about this. Uh, it's because God is with us. He's human among us. We talked about this particularly uh, two Sundays ago. We talked about the incarnation because the early church proclaimed not so much that Jesus rose from the dead, though he did. The early church proclaimed Christ is alive. He's got that new life. He's resurrected. We get to share in that eventually. So he's come. He's coming back. And the new life we have now is a foretaste of what it will be like in, the, uh, in eternity. And that because he's human, we are confident that he empathizes and sympathizes with us. He understands how we feel. All the stresses we're going to feel maybe over the next week or two, Jesus knows how that feels. I don't think anybody in this world has ever been as stressed as Jesus. Not really. I mean, I know we all have our stresses and not to minimize them all, but I think carrying the weight of the sin of the world on your, whole, on your shoulders, like of all people of all time, sounds like it might be a little bit more stressful than, than the kind of things that we are stressed with. Not to minimize our levels of stress, but to say Jesus understands. If he went through that, he understands what we're going through. And that's why he hears our prayers and he intercedes for us. He's a merciful king. He loves to forgive. We talked about this with the men on Wednesday, how our father God enjoys forgiving. We don't have to persuade him. We don't have to bully him into it. Like, come on, God, you said you'd forgive. Come on. He likes forgiving. He's a merciful king. That's his nature. Isn't that a wonderful thought? It's a wonderful thought. Jesus came to reveal mercy more than judgment. There is judgment, but he came to reveal the mercy of God because he wants to draw all people to God. Uh, a couple of scriptures that I think are relevant to this are in 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ in his great mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection. Of Jesus Christ from the dead. In chapter 2, once you were not a people. You and I, we didn't have any real identity, not with God. But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What this reminds us of, or even reminds me of, and perhaps it can remind us all of, is the fact that our faith is all about our merciful king. It's not about our background. It's not about our, nature, our personality. It's not about organizations and, and structures. Our faith is about our merciful king. As we talked about earlier this year in the series on what makes a great church, a great church is God-focused. A church that can be great for God is God-focused. And we're God-focused more than anything else because we have a merciful king. Secondly, second verse of this great carol, love this carol. Why should men on earth be so sad since our Redeemer made us glad? Why should men on earth be so sad since our Redeemer made us glad when from our sin, and you might say my sin, <clears throat> he set us free, all for to gain our liberty. Freedom in Christ is what he's talking about here. In Romans chapter 6, 
Paul's writing about the new life of Christ and about the consequences of being baptized into Christ. In the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from <coughs> death to life and offer, see, offer him, give, offer. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer, no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. Offer. Because we've been given freedom, we willingly offer our bodies, our, ourselves, our time, our energy back to God. We've been given liberty to serve God and to serve others on behalf of God. That's what our liberty means practically. We need to be sober this time of year, uh, this Christmas time and around New Year. We do need to be sober about our temptations to sin, right? I would like to kind of bring it up in a way. But it does warn people here, you don't, don't let sin reign. You've been given a new life. You've been given this freedom. Don't, 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 um, don't compromise that. And, you know, this is one of those times of year when I'd say there may be a little bit extra temptation around in some ways. The materialism, uh, the amounts of alcohol around, various things like that. Some of the stuff we might be tempted to watch online or streaming or on television, it, you know, there's more temptations, perhaps because we're indoors more, perhaps because it's when it's cold, we might get a little more isolated from one another. We don't see each other as often. We don't go out so much. We need to be sober about our temptations. I was baptized into Christ in uh, November 1984. I went home for Christmas a few weeks later for uh, three weeks. And I thought, great, I'm going to go home. I'm baptized in Christ. I've got the spirit of Christ. Everything's great now. I'm going to have, a, I'm going to have the best Christmas and New Year I've ever had. And I was uh, just a few weeks old as a Christian. I felt strong. God is my life. This is great. So I went home and I got drunk at a New Year's Eve party. And I mean, not tipsy. I was paralytic. I was falling over. I was sitting under the kitchen table of my neighbor's house where he'd been pouring neat whiskey into my glass. Yeah, I know. I thought, okay, he's given me a, he gave me a glass of whiskey. And I thought, okay, I'll make this last all night. Just sip, 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 you know. But of course, he kept refilling it. And I wasn't sipping it. <laughs> and I was soon under the kitchen, literally under the kitchen table, sitting in his kitchen on the floor there and staggered home. It was very embarrassing. And I, I'm embarrassed to tell you about it, but it was, that was me. And that's because, you know, alcohol was a very, very big problem for me before I was baptized into Christ. I wasn't sober about the fact that although I am now a different person, those, cha those channels, those grooves of temptation, they're still there. And I've got to be alert. I need God to help me. It didn't help that I'd not talked to anybody from church for three weeks. It didn't help that I was very isolated. Just need to be sunk about our sin. We've been given liberty. Let's, let's live in that freedom and use it to serve others, to offer it, as, as he says here. In Galatians 5, <clears throat> you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. 
freedom to serve. One of our sayings in this church we talked about earlier this year about being a church great for God is that we're always free, but spiritual. We have freedom in Christ, but we choose with the right spiritual priorities. Third verse of this carol. When sin departs before his grace, it drives out the sin. Then life and health come in its place. When sin departs before his grace, then life and health come in its place. Angels and men with joy may sing, all for to see the newborn king. What a wonderful uh, thought here. Life and health. Because we have this freedom in Christ, we now have the life available to us that God always intended us to have. What Jesus talks about in John chapter 10, verse 10, as life to the full, or life in its fullness, or life in its completeness, the way that God had always designed. That's what we have. And my one simple point from this is to prioritize the spiritual fuel that gives us that spiritual life, that gives us that strength to live this new life, to prioritize it over Christmas and New Year, to make sure we put time aside for God so that he can give us this life, give us this healthy life. We need to spend time with the Lord. It's time of prayer. It's time in God's word. It's time also in fellowship, I'd say, with one another, talking about how, how things are and how we're doing. And just having that connection makes all the difference. In Romans 5 and verse 17, if by the trespass of the one man, he's talking about Adam there, death reigned through that one man, how much more? Will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We reign in life, in that new life. That's what we get because of Christ. We have a new life to love one another. We have a new life to love in the way that Christ loved us. So make time for God over Christmas. And maybe a practical thing I might say is it may be important to set some boundaries with your spouse, with your kids, with other people that are going to be around you at Christmas. Set some boundaries and say, yes, I'm going to be involved in this fun activity and that meal and that, but I need some time for God. And it's going to be at this time or on these days I'm going to be doing that. Setting some boundaries would be, I think, useful. And that will help us to go into the new year with a sense of vision because we have perhaps even deepened our walk with God over this holiday period. Wouldn't it be great to start next year feeling closer to God even than we are now? And I know that all of us have a lot of holidays, but we all have some. And maybe we could use at least part of those holiday days to deepen our relationship with God. Why not? And then the last verse is there. All out of darkness, we have light which made the angels sing this night. All out of darkness we have light, which made the angels sing this night. Glory to God and peace to men, now and forevermore. Amen. <laughs> darkness to light. I don't know about where you live, but I've noticed on my streets that there are far fewer Christmas lights out there than previous years. I'm guessing it's to do with the cost of electricity. <laughs> We have, a, we have a portable battery at home that I charge up 
a big, big one. I charge it up overnight when it's cheaper because we have economy seven sort of thing. And, um, and I plug our Christmas lights into that battery so it's at least cheaper than it would be during the day on the mains electricity. And there are fewer lights around. It's a bit sad in a way, isn't it? Normally around our way, there's lights everywhere. I, I mean, I like that. Um, but the light, the light of the gospel is never dimmed. We talked a few weeks about the fact that the gospel is never unhindered. We are living in light. There's no need for any darkness in our lives or around us. Maybe this is a good time to share the light with other people. We've been brought into it. Why not draw other people into it? This is a good time, parents, to talk to your children about the meaning of Christmas. To open up the Bible, a children's Bible or an adult one if they can handle it, and talk to them about it. I know that we all know here it's not just about the presents and that's fun and all that, but we need to teach our children and get that Bible open and talk to them about what it means that Jesus became a child like them and lived a child's life as well as an adult's life. This is a great time to teach them using these materials as a family devotional uh, or also it's a good time just to talk to other people about our faith. And if people won't listen to the Bible, use a carol like this and say, do you know what that carol is about? You sing it, most people aren't Christians sing these carols, or most of them, a lot of them every year. What about talking about the meaning of a carol, if they won't open the Bible itself? Um, these verses in Matthew 4, the people living in darkness, actually it's not Matthew 4, it's Micah 4, Micah chapter 4, Old Testament prophecy, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. We're living in the light. And in 1 Peter chapter 2, you're a chosen people, royal priesthood, holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We're living in the light. Let us not neglect to work for God's glory and toil to build the church well. Another one of our principles we talked about earlier this year, even during Christmas and New Year. There's no reason why God can't be working as powerfully at this time than any other time. Just to wrap up, going on to thinking about a bit more about what it means that we have this merciful king, as we started in the first verse. We have a merciful king. I want to read you a story from a book by Max Licardo called Grace. And it's about somebody who went through a very traumatic experience and their response. And after this, uh, Simon will lead us in a prayer before we take bread and wine. So it's a, it's a story about a woman called Victoria Rivolo. Rivolo. Victoria Rivolo can tell you about random pain. On a November evening in 2004, this 44-year-old New Yorker was driving to her home on Long Island. She'd just attended her niece's recital and was ready for the couch, a warm fire, and relaxation. She doesn't remember seeing the silver Nissan approach from the east. She remembers nothing of the 18-year-old boy leaning out the window, holding, of all things, a frozen turkey. He threw it at her windscreen. The 20-pound bird crashed through the glass, 
bent the steering wheel inward and shattered her face like a dinner plate on concrete. The violent prank left her grappling for life. She survived, but only after the doctors wired her jaw, affixed one eye by synthetic film, and bolted titanium plates to her cranium. She can't look in the mirror without a reminder of that night. How did she respond? How might you and I respond? Let me tell you about her response. Nine months after her disastrous November night, she stood face to titanium bolted face with her offender in court. <coughs> Ryan Cushing was no longer the cocky, turkey-tossing kid in the Nissan. He was trembling, tearful, and apologetic. For New York City, he had come to symbolize a generation of kids out of control. People packed the room to see him get his comeuppance. The judge's sentence enraged them. Only six months behind bars, five years probation, some counseling, and public service. The courtroom erupted. Everyone objected. Everyone that is except Victoria Rivola. The reduced sentence was her idea. The boy walked over and she embraced him. In full view of the judge and the crowd, she held him tight and stroked his hair. He sobbed and she spoke, I forgive you. I want your life to be the best that it can. She allowed grace to shape her response. I don't know how I would have handled that, honestly. But we, at Christmas, are celebrating the fact that Jesus was willing to come to offer us grace that we don't deserve. And he wants to hold us close. He wants to hug us. And he wants to say, I forgive you. I want your life to be the best that it can. This is what we celebrate. And this is why we take bread and wine, to remember what Jesus has done for us. Remember, remind us and infuse us to live for him. Give us energy for that life, a life that's different, a life of extraordinary compassion and kindness for others, because that's what they need, just as God has given us that. <coughs> Simon, would you like to come up and pray for us, please?